Tonight's scripture reading will be from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Again, that's James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It's a story told of an American preacher that went to Africa and was bringing a group of African preachers back to the States for a seminar. And as they had some free time before the seminar actually began, he, uh, some of the African preachers said, we'd like to experience the American shopping experience. And so uh, he took them down to a town center and they said, no, 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 we'll be fine. We'll be fine on our own. And he said, okay, well, he was a little bit reluctant to let them go, but he went ahead and let them go. And as they, uh, uh, he said, here's my cell phone number. If you have any problems, just give me a call. And as the African preachers began to go out and fan out, one man got so disoriented down in this town center that he, uh, he, he began to panic and openly just uh, really start getting shaking. So he called the preacher and the American preacher, and uh, he answered the phone, and he said, uh, listen, I don't have any clue where I am. He said, I'm, I'm so disoriented. I'm so mixed up. I don't know where it is that, uh, that, that I need to be. And the American preacher said, well, let's calm down. Let's think about this logically. He said, I'd like for you to go out and... Uh, and find the nearest intersection and look up. And they said, I want you to tell me what those signs say. And the African preacher, he waited for just a minute. And he got, to, got over there to the corner. And he said, aha, how wise a preacher you are. I see exactly where I am. I'm at the corner of walk and don't walk. <laughs> Badoomch, right? Sometimes it is that our trials and our difficulties can be so disorienting that we don't know whether to walk or, dis or not walk. Sometimes it is that we live our Christian lives as if we're supposed to fly with absolutely no problems and with no difficulties and that everything is going to be smooth sailing. That's what we expect, isn't it? That we don't have any kind of difficulties or, or problems that come into our life. Did you listen as you were singing this last verse of the song that we just sang? I'm rich, I am saved, I am happy. I have health and prosperity. I have friends, I have doors ever open, the Lord has been mindful of me. I wonder what happens whenever it is that health and prosperity fail us. I wonder when it is that sometimes friends begin to fail us. If we can really sing that song the way that the songwriter intended. You see, we're put in the fire sometimes. And when the heat is turned up, we have a difficult time in dealing with those things. And so we find ourselves at the corner of walk and don't walk. What is it that I do? Daniel read from James chapter 1, and you can leave your Bible open there because that's where we're going to be working out of this evening. If you begin back in verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
But let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, perfect, lacking nothing. I want you to understand this at the outset of discussing this text, one that heat has turned up. Brothers and sisters, trials in our lives are not God's means of putting us down. Trials in our lives are His way of making us better. Sometimes it is that we think that we ought to have no trials before victory, that there ought to be not, no battle before it is that we can really take joy and pride in the Christian life and, and live the abundant life the way that Christ wants us to. But one of the things we've got to remember is God delights in increasing the faith of his children. Let me say that again. God delights in increasing your faith and increasing my faith. God delights in us growing as Christians ought to. Peter concluded 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what God wants us to do. And as he increases our faith, one of the means by which he allows that to happen is through the trials, the difficulties that we encounter in this life. But we, instead of wanting no trials before victory or no exercise for patience, we want to, to be willing to take them from God's hands as a means and Trials and obstacles and difficulties and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. And we ought to take those things out of the hand of God as evidence of his love and his care for us and developing us more and more that his faith is able to strengthen us and cause us to grow. Why is it that we ought to take joy whenever it is that we're in the fire, when we're put in the fire, when... The old saying is, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Well, what if you're the one in the oven? You know, what if it is that you're the one that's being put through this difficulty? Is it really the best thing to be asked to be taken out of that situation? Well, for our faith, it may be the best thing for us to remain in those trials according to what James is saying. Understand these things here. We've got eight just for this evening. Eight things to consider whenever it is that the heat's turned up, when the trials are difficult. What do the trials teach us? They teach us, number one, that our time here on this earth is temporary. Our time here on earth is temporary. James, a lot of scholars believe, is the oldest New Testament epistle. That is, just after, it's it's the oldest New Testament book, particularly because of a couple of reasons. Number one is that the Jew and Gentile thing, the, con- uh, the conflict between the Jews and Gentiles really began to get revved up, and it doesn't necessarily seem like it went away in the first century. And as you find books like Romans and Galatians and Ephesians that really make their focus on the oneness of what God has made us, both Jew and Gentile, reconciled us both into one body, that's the theme of a lot of the New Testament epistles. Interestingly enough, in a book of practical Christianity, James doesn't mention the Jew and Gentile con- uh, problem uh, conflict once. And so a lot of people, it's led them to believe that this is the oldest New Testament epistle, maybe even before the Gentiles became Christians. But one of the things that he mentions right at the outset is that this letter is written to those who are dispersed abroad, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And he says, greetings. When you consider, brothers and sisters, that this world is not our home, that the Lord has been mindful of us while we're here, but the things that make us long for heaven may not all to be altogether be bad things. The things that make us for a, long for a life that's beyond this one may not altogether be bad things. The lesson, the goals, the aims, 
when we get into trials and difficult situations, reassessing those things and thinking about really where we stand with regard to God and with regard to our Christian growth is important to us. It's not to discourage us, but it's to hopefully help us to long for home more. When the heat's turned up, we need to remember that those trials can make us long for a better life and realize that our time here on earth is temporary. When the heat is turned up, it is to understand that nothing worthwhile here on this earth is easy. Isn't that true? That nothing worthwhile on this earth is easy. You may have heard the old saying, that which we achieve too easily, we esteem too lightly. That if, if Christianity never caused us any conflict, it never caused us any problems, it never caused us any angst, it never caused us any doubt, it never caused us any, uh, any difficulty with regard to trials and temptations and all of those different things that we face, if we just had it with no strings attached, here you go, your salvation in Christ. Well, how much would you really think about something like that? When you talk about growing in our faith, when you talk about our trials as means that can cause us to grow the way God wants us to, we realize we appreciate the deepness, the depth of the faith, and the depth of the relationship that we have with God because of those trials, not in spite of. When you think about how we are pressing on the upward way in another one of our songs that we sing, the abundant life that we live is not found at the path of least resistance. It's just not. What's, what did Paul say whenever it was that he was discussing his Christian credentials there in Philippians chapter 3? He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his rising. Share in his sufferings. Be conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I want to follow in Christ's footsteps every day. And if that leads me down the path of suffering, so be it. I'm following in the steps of Jesus Christ because I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be raised with him. Nothing worthwhile on this earth is easy. When the heat's turned up, we ought to remember that. Number three, his strength is shown in our weakness and trials. Why should we take joy when we're falling to various trials and to difficult temptations? It's because his strength is shown in our weakness and trials. You can write down as a scripture reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. As Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, this difficulty that he's, that he's dealing with, and we've mentioned before that that thorn is not something that's a little, uh, little irritation. It's not like a, a rose thorn. We're talking about a spike that's continually being driven into him again and again and again, and that's what it feels like for Paul. And Paul says, I took this to the Lord and I prayed three times that he would take it away. This hurts. The Lord's answer was, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. The truth is, brothers and sisters, that we can never be too weak for God to use us. We can never be too weak for God to use us. But we can certainly be too strong for God to use us. In thinking that we've got it all put together, and thinking that we can handle it. I've got this. We can be too strong for God to be glorified in us because when the heat's turned up, that's the time that we need to lean more on Him 
and say, God, I don't got this. God, I need your help with this. God, I need your strength in my trials. We learn to trust more in his strength in our own weakness and trials. Number four, when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, understand this, that we go stronger by overcoming trials and opposition. We grow stronger in overcoming trials and opposition. The testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect result that you may be complete and perfect, wanting nothing. When we go under trials, when we go into difficult situations, it's not so we can be crushed by those things. It's not so we can feel the weight of those things and understand how, how pitiful we are. It's the fact that when we hold up as a Christian faith ought to under those things, it's so that we ought to be stronger whenever we come out the other side. When you go to the gym, as a lot of us don't go to the gym on a regular basis, but you understand when, you go, when a person goes to the gym, they do so so that they can push themselves. And they go so that they can find out where those limits are and where it is that they can go. Why? Because as the muscles, tissues break down, they come back stronger. Even when you have times when you have failed in trials, there ought to be learning experiences. There ought to be something that we can think about with regard to that trial, about how I faced it or how I, how I failed in it and how it is I ought to think about it next time whenever that trial comes around again and how it is that I ought to reshape my environment maybe so that that trial doesn't happen in the exact same way or the exact same situation so that I can be prepared the next time that trial comes. But brothers and sisters, if we find ourselves falling again and again and again to the same old things, the question has to be asked, are we really learning the lesson from our trials that we ought to be learning? To trust in God's grace and is sufficient for us, but to realize that God's will is that those trials are the food for our faith so that we overcome them and we overcome that opposition. Number five. Why should we rejoice when we fall into various trials? Because we learn what our weaknesses are. We learn what our weaknesses are. One man said it like this. Trials do not create character. Trials test the character that's already in place. Trials do not create character, but trials are a test of the character or lack thereof that's already in place. James 1, 5 through 8. Look at just the passages that talk about wisdom just from the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, what's the implication? God, I don't know how to handle the trials of earth. I don't know how of my own sufficiency to be able to hold up, to let this trial continue in, in my life, and I don't know how to pass the test. God, give me that wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you ask of God who gives to all men liberally. God is not a miser with his wisdom. He's not holding it up there in heaven just, just waiting to give you a little bitty tiny dropper full. He's ready to pour it out and to change your life from the inside out. And he's ready for you to listen to his wisdom and to grow from those things. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. James chapter 3. What's the wisdom that God gives? It's not like the worldly wisdom that we find in our environment. 
where there's envy and selfishness and, and pride and all those things, there's, there's uh, every other evil thing. But look at verse 17. What's the wisdom God wants us to have? The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, then reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. This is the type that God wants us to have. This is the people that, this is the, uh, the, the, the example in these trials that ought to be seen. An evidence of a person who has been listening to God and their difficulties. Our trials are <laughs> times when we can look at the list of James chapter 3, verse 17 and say, I didn't respond with love the way that I ought to. I didn't have the peace that I find here from the wisdom from God. You know, in this trial, I, I really flew off the handle. I lost my cool. I let the irritation get to me. I let my emotions overwhelmed me to the point where I flew off the handle and, and said some things that I wish I hadn't said. Or I took this, this trial and I took it the wrong way. I just taught to escape the trial and so I went and I looked for comfort food or I looked for escape somewhere else. I just wanted to sit in front of the TV and not think about this because it's too hard. We learn what our weaknesses are. But we also, understanding this, in our trials, we can rejoice, we can take joy in our trials because we also learn what our strengths are. Every trial you face, count it all joy when you fall into various, some verses say diverse. The Greek word is pokios. I'm told by one of my Greek teachers that that is the word that we get our word polka dot from, pokios. And you find a polka-dotted person or a polka-dotted uh, garment or something like that, and what you're going to find are big ones and little ones and medium-sized ones and all different shapes and all different sizes sometimes, but polka-dots. There's not just a one-size-fits-all trial. They come in various forms, various fashions, various sizes. Some are very, very big. Some, we feel like, are very, very little and more like nuisances, kind of like the mosquitoes. But it is that when we fall into various trials, we realize that every trial that God has laid before us, again, God is not the author of temptation. God's not the one that tempts us. But the, uh, the, the time that we have when we're here on this earth and we fall into those things is a time when we can draw closer to God. But every trial that's laid in front of us is a trial that we can pass. That's a great comfort to me. And that ought to be a great comfort to you. Why is that? Because you jump down to verse 12. The person who falls into various trials, verse 2, here's the blessing, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures, it's the same word as various trials. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is approved, he will receive the crown of life. As we grow, brothers and sisters, it ought to be that we see the course of strength that's been developed through the growth of our faith. That is the same things that tempt me today are not necessarily the same things that tempted me a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago. And as we draw closer to the Lord, as we grow in our faith, as we grow stronger through our trials, we ought to be able to turn around and look at our lives within a period of time of Christian growth. And say, you know, I'm not the same person that I was. I'm stronger. I'm different because of the wisdom of God. When the heat's turned up, you, there's things that you don't stress about, things that you don't stress about 
the way the same way as anymore because you ought to be able to handle more as he drove. As much as it improves areas of weakness, it also improves areas of strength. Number seven, why should we rejoice when the heat's turned up? Because we learn some very valuable things about being long-suffering with others. I've often looked at verses 9 through 12. Let the lowly brother glory in his humiliation. Or excuse me, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich man in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the field, he will pass away. For when the sun rises up with a burning heat and withers the grass and the flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man. Here's a man who trusted his riches the entire time. Here's a man who trusts in these things. But when you find a person who is humble in their circumstances and humble in their thoughts and humble in their behavior, especially when they go through trials like that, listen, you're going to learn some things about people that go through the same trials. When you haven't been in the fire, sometimes it is the, the temptation to be more harsh with the people that are in fire. Oh, you ought to get over that. Oh, every time I see this person, they're always talking about the difficulty of the trial that they're going through, and man, I wish they'd just get over that. When you don't have any idea what it is that they're actually going through, when you don't have any idea how it is that they're having trouble handling this problem and, and having trouble trusting in God's grace in the middle of this difficulty, sometimes we don't have any clue until we've been through the fire ourselves, and that's the truth of the matter. But once we've been through the fire... Don't we learn something about being long-suffering and patient with other people who are going through similar circumstances? Don't we have a new appreciation for the grace that helped us through those difficult things in helping other people to realize the exact same graces are present in their life? I had a friend of mine, I was actually a friend of Catherine's, that had a child that was a preemie. She was in and out of the hospital for at least the first two years of her life. She spent more time, I think, in the hospital in the first two years of her life than she did outside. But this mother, this young mother, was sitting there beside her bed day in, day out, day in, day out. And she said one of the things that helped her the most during this difficult circumstance was that just about every day she had a Christian friend that would text her scriptures from the Psalms and to say, I love you, I'm thinking about you, I want you to know how much you're loved and how much that sweet little girl is loved. And she said, I knew that that was just one of the things that kept me going because somebody loved her enough to be long-suffering and patient with her as she was dealing with this difficult circumstance. You learn something about being patient with other people when you've been through the fire yourself. Last one this evening. We learn the goodness of God's people. We ought to count it joy when we fall into various trials. Because in the testing of our faith, that produces patience. But during that time, like no other, we have an opportunity to see the goodness of, well, we could just stop with God. But part of the way that God shows his goodness to us is through the beauty of what his people do for us and by how they serve us. And by how they spend time thinking about what it is that we need, like the young lady with the scriptures, sending that to her friend in the hospital. Flip over to the end of the book of James, James chapter 5. 
Verse 16 is a verse we're familiar with. Confess your trespasses to one another. That involves us being actively involved in our lives, in one another's lives. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There is a trustworthiness there of a person who is going to take your name before the throne of God. A person who's going to care for you in your difficulties and in your trials and certainly in your temptations. So it is that they want you to grow because the Savior that we serve wants you to grow. Look at James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. As James talks about letting our faith be shown, he could have used a number of different examples, but James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he says this, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, does that sound like a trial? It does to me. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? God says you be a person that's going to make good on loving somebody else. John would say it this way, let's not love in word or tongue, let's love in deed and in truth. Don't we glory in the fact that we've got a God, we've got God's people that love us and that want us to make it through the trials that we're undergoing at this time. Brothers and sisters, when the heat's turned up, James says take joy. Not that everything that you happen and everything that happens to you is joyful, but the fact that when we take joy in our trials, we recognize it's an opportunity to feed our faith. It's an opportunity to grow the way God wants us to. Whatever it is that you're going through this evening, whatever it is that you're going through this week, whatever it is that you're going through this month or this year already, we love you. We care about you. We want you not to be crushed by your trials, but we want you to grow because of them, because that's what God wants. If you have any need that we can help you with this evening as we close, won't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song?